Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, most all of the series we do here are based upon things that I'm studying or things that I'm going through in my personal life because I found if it doesn't hit me, it's probably not going to hit you. And if it bores me, it's probably going to bore you, right? And a lot of the things I, I teach are things I'm having to work through. I'm, I'm not the master of any of this material. I'm a student. And a lot of the things that I struggle with are things that I'll try to communicate to you and your struggles, and we just try to connect dots from time to time. And so the series Paradox just seemed like a natural as we go into the Easter season to talk about things that are true but are um, contradictory. And in our life, I think you'll run into things and experiences of life that you find that are true but are contradictory. For example, uh, we say something is bittersweet, right? It's true, but it seems to be contradictory. We said in the series prior to this one that it is possible that you can experience the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. That's true, but it's contradictory. And I think most of us, if not all of us, if you're not in a season like that, you'll go through one or you have been through one where you just seem like there's good things you can find in your life, but there's also some difficult things in life. You can find the blessings in life and you can also find the burdens in life and they're paradoxes and we all deal with that and we struggle with that. And I find comfort in the fact that there are a lot of dialectical illustrations in scripture. There are a lot of paradoxes in the Bible. He says, you know, if you want to be first, you have to come in last. He says, if you want to be a ruler, you have to be a servant. He says, you win by losing. You're going, what? And yet in the scripture, you have these paradoxes where God is teaching these incredibly powerful truths. And one of the things that we're going to look at is this idea that the apostle Paul said that I discovered this paradox in my life. And the paradox was this, when I'm weak, I'm strong that my strength is actually in my, in my weakness. And we're gonna kinda of examine that and explore that a little bit because that is truly a paradox. How can one be weak and at the same time uh, be strong? I remember watching a, a guy tune pianos. My dad's old church, they had two big pianos on either side of the platform and had an organ in the back and the choir loft. And so from time to time, those things would get out of tune. And so the guy would come up with a tuning fork. And it was interesting. And he let me kind of observe how he did it. And he'd take the tuning fork, kind of hit the fork on his knee. And the tuning fork is comprised of those two tines. And those two tines, though separate, work in harmony to create the right tone. And if you muffle either one of those tines, then you don't get the right tone. And I thought about life being kind of like that. You have the sovereignty of God over here and you have the responsibility of man over there. You have these times that go up in life, these things that help us get tone, that bring our life into harmony is God's plan and our reaction to his plan. Is God's design and our decisions about his design. And how when those two things are working in harmony with one another, our, our life has the right tone. We find the right pitch things tend to come together in an incredible way. Because believe it or not, God really does know what he's doing. 
Uh, he does everything not accidental, but uh, he, he does it on purpose. Uh, he has a plan for every life. I'm convinced that God created me like he did you with purpose, for purpose, on purpose, right? We're here for a reason. And Ecclesiastes 3, as we talked about a few months back, we learned that our time on this earth is directly connected to our purpose. And so with all the mysteries of life and all the ways in which uh, life throws these uh, difficulties and these uh, hardships on us, it's interesting to navigate through them with our faith and find that God is working in every situation. He's working in the bad times and the good times. He's working when things are going good for me. He's working when things are going horribly for me. God is at work all the time. The Bible says he doesn't slumber, nor does he sleep. And so we're going to look at how this amazing paradox, this idea that we can have strength in the midst of weakness, how that works, right? If you have a Bible, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me give you the setup. A text without context leads to pretext. So let me give you the setup. Here the Apostle Paul is. He has just experienced this incredible, miraculous event. The Bible says, Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is a Hebrew understanding of where God dwells. Now, we could understand that this way. The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars and the moon reside. The third heaven is where God is, somewhere beyond there. And so we get what he means by what he said. And Paul is describing this incredible experience in his life where he's caught up into this third heaven. He has this near-death experience. He has this out-of-body experience and he is so blown away by what he's seen. In fact, it's even almost difficult for him to describe it. So that's where we take up. Look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul said to keep me humble based on what I had just experienced. To keep me humble based upon what I had just uh, gone through, God humbled me through this thorn in the flesh. Paul knew he had a propensity to get proud, right? He knew he had the possibility that he could strut a little bit. Nothing worse than seeing a proud uh, sinner and a humble savior. And so Paul said, I knew, I knew that I had this potential and to keep me humble, to keep me grounded, to keep my feet on the ground, God sent this thorn in my flesh. Now understand, it's when you hear the word thorn, you, your mind goes to pulling weeds and you get a little splinter in your finger, right? That's not the word he's in, in, using in the Greek. It is the word that has to do with being impaled. Impaled. That's a little different than a splinter in the finger. <laughs> now some scholars think he might have been struggling with malaria. Some scholars think that he may have had debilitating migraines that affected his vision. Uh, there are some who even think it might have been a personality that was in his life just dogging him every day of his life. I mean, the Bible doesn't say, it's pretty general, but it is something that was in his life uh, and it was allowed into his life. And the Bible says not only did he have a thorn in the flesh, but look at the next phrase. It said, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. So here he has this thorn that he's impaled. He has this thing that's constantly uh, dogging him, that's constantly bothering him. That's in, he's in pain with it, discomforted by it every day. And in addition to that, he has the enemy that's just hammering on him, just buffeting every day. And so he said, I, instead, uh, lest I be exalted above measure, these things happen, right? Keep me humble. And verse 8, he says, so concerning this things, I pleaded with the Lord three times. 
Now that's a Hebrew figure of speech three times. We know he prayed more than just three times. Uh, it's a Hebrew figure of speech that has the idea of he prayed, he prayed continuously. So here's something, if you get, the, you get the context, here's something that's happened in his life. God's allowed it. The devil ex is exploiting it. Paul doesn't want it. <laughs> and he's praying about it, which is what you think you would do, right? If you're in pain today, if you're going through something, the best advice I could give you is pray about it. And pray as Paul, pray as Paul, and Paul is praying uh, continually about it. He's praying constantly about it. He's asking God, God, deliver this from me. I know you're big enough. I know you're able. I know you can. And notice what God says to him in verse nine. He just responds, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, son, I know you want this to go away, but what you're going to find is I'm not going to remove this from you, but instead I want to make you aware of my grace. Grace is the sufficiency of God. It's the favor of God. It's the ability that God gives you to get through what you're going through. God will give you enough grace to go through anything in your life. There's saving grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. There's suffering grace. His grace is sufficient. By the way, there's dying grace. One day God will give us grace to be able to leave this life to go into his presence. I will fear no evil, Paul, uh, David said in Psalm 23, for you're with me. That's dying grace. So God gives us grace for every experience of life. And this is the thing Paul is coming to terms with. And notice what he says, therefore. Now remember, when you study the Bible and you see the word therefore, always look and see what it's there for. It will connect what he's about to say with what he's, what he's just said. So he said, in light of the fact that I had this incredible spiritual high, in light of the fact that God allowed me to see things that other people weren't able to see, uh, to go somewhere other people were not able to go. And God, as a result of that experience, to keep me humble, he hit me with this thorn in my flesh. And to make matters worse, I have the enemy that is just buffeting me every day. And I have prayed to God continuously and continually about this thing. And God has basically said, no, a hard no. This is not going to go the way you wanted. I'm not going to remove that from you. But instead, I'm going to make you aware of something you didn't know until you needed it. And that was my grace. My grace is going to be available to you. It is sufficient to get you through the thing you're going through. So the second therefore then kicks in where he says, well, let's read that again. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities. And by the way, the word boast doesn't carry with it the idea of being cocky. The word boast means I lift my head up. I carry myself unashamedly and unafraid. When he says boast, it's the idea that I can hold my head up in the midst of what I'm going through. I can walk through this really bad experience without shame or without fear. So when he says I boast, that's not a cocky, proud statement because it goes against the purpose of the thorn, right? <laughs> so if the purpose of the thorn is humbling him and all of a sudden he's bragging about boasting, then that word doesn't work. So you have to understand what he meant by what he said. And what he meant by what he said is I can hold my head up high. I know I didn't bring this on myself. I know this is not a result of some stupid mistake I've made in my life. This is something God has allowed to come into my life so I can hold my head up and I can walk through this without shame or without fear. And here's the second therefore. Therefore, I, I now take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. And then here's the phrase again, for when I am weak, then he said, I'm strong. Well, let me give you three principles this morning I want you to think about that will help perhaps you connect some of the dots to this idea that our strength is seen 
in our weakness. Number one, the first principle is this. Your potential will bring problems. Isn't that a, just a glorious thought on a, east, on a, uh, on a, a spring break weekend? Your potential, and, and, uh, let, me, let me double down on it and put it this way. The greater your potential, the greater your problems. Don't you wish you didn't have so much potential? <laughs> people with the greatest amount of problems are people who possess the greatest potential. I mean, the enemy trained all of his efforts on the apostle Paul. Because Paul had just experienced this, this incredible spiritual high. Paul was going to use that experience uh, to validate his uh, authority to be an apostle. And through all that he had suffered and all that he ex experienced, they were also going to see the strength of his faith. So man, Paul's on the radar of the enemy. All of a sudden now, man, the enemy has trained all of his firepower on Paul. He's got to take Paul out. So the Bible says God allows <laughs> the thorn in his flesh and he allows the messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now again, this is another paradox. If you're God's child, and in John 10, the Bible says, all the Father has given me are in my hand and no one can take them from my hand. If you belong to God this morning, you're in his hand. So the point is, the only way something can get to you is it has to go through him. All right, are you tracking? So for the apostle Paul to have a thorn in the flesh, here it is, God either had to cause it or allow it. Boy, this is where your faith really gets stretched. I mean, here the apostle Paul is, man, he's got something in his life that God has either permitted or he has allowed. And in addition to that, he's allowing the enemy to have access to his kid. You remember Job, the oldest book of the Bible, Job? Uh, in Job chapter one, the Bible says, the sons of man came to present themselves before God and Satan went with them. Satan goes to church. <laughs> and so he goes to church. And God says to the devil in this exchange in Job one, he says, hey, he said, have you considered my servant Job? Have you looked at my kid Job? I'm so proud of him, he's successful, he's a business guy, he's one of the wealthiest guys in the country, he's a great family guy, this guy has his act together. Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, yeah, you know why he likes you? You know why he's loyal to you? You know why he's faithful to you? Because he has a commercial faith. He only likes you because of what he's getting out of you. He only likes you because of the access that he has to you. And here's the challenge. The devil said, you lower the hedge that you've got around him. Let me add him. He'll renounce his face and he'll curse you. Now, it's interesting because how did the devil know that God had a hedge around Job if he had not already gone after him? I'm just saying he had potential, and so the devil was after the people with potential. He had already gone after Job and couldn't get to him because God was protecting him. So the challenge was, lower the hedge. Let me at him. Let some bad stuff happen to him. Give him a thorn in the flesh. Let me buffet him a little bit. He'll renounce his faith and curse you because what he has isn't real. And basically how God responded to him is, you don't know my kid. You don't know the stuff he's made out of. He's not going to turn his back on me. He will not renounce his faith. He's strong enough to handle anything you throw at him. Somebody said, uh, the teacher reserves the hardest test for the smartest students. 
Then the Talmud, the Talmud is the collection of writings from the rabbis from about 200 BC to about 500 AD. And in the Talmud, there's a story of the, the rabbis tell a story of being in the marketplace that uh, a proprietor was selling pottery. And as the customers would walk by his store, he would take a stick and he would smack these different vessels that he had made to illustrate how strong they were. And they would be walking by as a customer and he'd be smacking them saying, hey, not only is this vessel uh, beautiful, but it's strong. Look at that. Look how hard I'm hitting it. And the rabbi said that the proprietor would only hit the strong vessels. He'd never hit the weak ones. And can I tell you that God in his design will only allow the strongest vessel sometimes to be struck because he's proving the validity of our faith. He's proving the strength of our character. It's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. How would a person who's walking and pressing into God and desires to be close to God, how can a person like that have all that adversity? Why are all those things seemingly going against that kind of a person? And I go back to the premise of my point, and that is simply this, people with the greatest potential sometimes face the biggest problems. You see, the devil has a strategy, it's real easy. Number one, his strategy is to keep you away from God. Keep you away from God. We were born separate from God. When we come to terms with our faith, when we get old enough to comprehend, sometimes that happens very young. I was about five or six years old. I don't think you have to have a PhD in sin in order to receive Jesus. <laughs> you get that degree later. <laughs> I hadn't committed a whole lot of sinning when I was six, but the point I knew was Jesus died on the cross for me. I knew that I needed him as my savior, and I knelt in my dad's old church, invited him into my heart, never turned back. So I'm just suggesting to your heart this morning that the first strategy of the enemy is to keep that from ever happening. Jesus said to one of the most educated men, he said to Nicodemus in John 3, Nicodemus, you, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus scratched his head and said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And he goes, no, man, you missed my point. He said, there's a physical birth, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but there's a spiritual birth, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So he said, just as you've been born physically, you now mean to be born again uh, spiritually. You need to receive Jesus. The strategy of the devil, number one, is to keep that from ever happening in your life. That's why I tell you the most significant decision you ever make is to trust Jesus as your savior. We drive hard to the hoop on that one every weekend. We want you to know Jesus. Whether you ever come back here or you ever go to any church at any other point in your life, the most significant thing you need to do is receive Jesus. One of these days, that's the only difference that'll make in eternity. He isn't gonna care what kind of church you were in. He isn't gonna care if you were baptized, homogenized, sanitized. He isn't gonna care. He's gonna say, what did you do with Jesus? Read Matthew 23, or 7, 23. He said, those who stand before him who rejected him, he will say, depart from me, you work deceit. And then he said, I never knew you. I didn't know you. So receive Jesus, okay? Second part of his strategy is not only A, keep you from Jesus, but number two, keep you from doing anything for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, if you know him, he just doesn't want you to do anything for him. And the reason that's significant is in Acts 1.8, he said, you shall be a witness as Jesus ascended to heaven. That's what he told the church left on the earth. What is our job? We're to be a witness. What does a witness do? 
It testifies about an experience. If you're called to court to be a witness, they want to know, what did you see? What did you experience? <laughs> you tell me what, you, what you've gone through. That's a witness. Everybody has a different story. Some of you received Christ when you were a child. Some of you were teenagers. Some of you are still debating it. Some of you recently have received Jesus as your Savior. You just tell your story. That's all Paul did. He said, this is what God did for me and what he did for me. I'm pretty sure he can do for you. So we're called to be a witness. So if the devil can keep that from happening, he'll keep us from making a difference for him. And he uses all kinds of things. He'll use adversity. He'll use confusion. He'll use heartache. He'll use betrayal. The devil doesn't care what gets you out just so long the end result is you're out. He doesn't care. It can be something legitimate. It could be something real or imagined. He doesn't care what the issue is. He just wants you not to make a difference for our Savior. I said your life is the only Bible someone will read. The only picture of Jesus someone may ever get is what they see in you. So if he can distort the image and he can keep that from ever happening, that's his strategy. It's not rocket science. And so what was happening here with Paul? Paul had this enormous potential. He had just had this incredible spiritual high. And now all of a sudden, God is working on one side of that tuning fork to keep him humble. And the enemy is working on the other side of that tuning fork to just punch him and buffet him every day. And Paul is trying to find harmony. He's trying to figure out how that works. And so the apostle Paul is dealing with this and all of a sudden you see the second thought that comes to mind as I consider these principles and suddenly his perception is about to bring him some peace. What was his perception? His perception was that all during the time he was going through what he was going through, God's grace was carrying him. Even when he didn't realize it. God's grace was sufficient for him, even when he didn't see it. His grace was sufficient to him, listen, even when he didn't feel it. I don't know how many of you are like me that can relate to this part of the story, where you've had something in your life that you've prayed continually and continuously for, for a long time, knowing that God could answer your prayer, knowing that he's done it in other cases, seeing him work in other people's lives and knowing, well, he did it for them. Surely he can do it for me. And all of a sudden going through what Paul went through when he gets the hard no. I've told you that. I got that hard no on May 31 when Cindy stepped from the temporal into the eternity. He said no. Let me tell you something, when you hit that point in your life, that's where your faith really gets stretched. I've told you before, it's not a matter of do you have enough faith to be healed. Here's one that'll blow your hat in the creek. Do you have enough faith not to be healed? Can you handle the no's? Can you handle it if he says no? I mean, Daniel 3, remember the three Hebrew children? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, when you hear the music, you're going to bow before me and renounce your faith. They said, it's not happening. He said, well, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And they had this exchange before the king in verse 17 and change. And they said, sir, listen, our God, listen, is able to deliver us from this fire. And then here it is. Here's their faith. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Is your faith big enough to still trust God if he says no? 
What if you go through the fire? What if you lose the loved one? What if you lose the job? What if there's a divorce? What if that friend walks out of your life? Is your faith big enough to handle that? That's exactly where Paul was. God just looks at him and he says, son, look, I'm not gonna do what you want me to do in the way you want me to do it, but you're gonna have to trust me and realize that in this season of your life, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul begins to wrap his head around it. It's not what he wanted. It's not what he prayed for. This is not what he anticipated. Nobody wants that. Are you kidding me? Who prays for that? When was the last time anyone said, Lord, things are going pretty good in my marriage. Would you just really reach out and just kind of mess that up a little bit? <laughs> God, we've been getting along pretty good. What could you do to kind of disrupt the harmony in the home? That'd be awesome. When was the last time you ever said, God, the job is good, man. I've got a lot of finances coming. Lord, would you allow me to lose this job and just put me in a financial tailspin? Just bring, no, nobody prays for that kind of junk. But how many have gone through it? that's right where Paul was. I didn't pray for this. I didn't want this. I'm realizing now I must have potential because the enemy's sure coming hard after me. But you know what I'm learning to perceive? I'm learning to perceive God's grace is carrying me. And in the midst of God carrying me, it's given me enormous peace. Listen, the will of God, listen, the will of God will never take you to a place where the grace of God cannot sustain you. Never. He'll never send you into something he cannot sustain you. Remember I said he, he saves his strongest test uh, or, or his harshest test for his strongest vessels. So Paul is piecing this thing together. He, he, he's figuring this, this thing out. And the third thing you see about Paul is he doesn't let it defeat him. I'll put it this way. His persistence <laughs> brought about his power. Here's what I mean by that. A third of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. A third. Many scholars believe that he started over 20 churches that reached literally thousands of people in that time. I contend probably you and I would not have the Bible as we have it today without the work of the Apostle Paul. What was the secret? He was just a man as we're men. He was, he was just a regular dude. Don't ever look into the Bible and think these are super, you know, series of people, uh, you know, like superheroes. There's only the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> I mean, you either know him or you don't. I mean, Paul, he was just like us. You know what he did? He relied on the grace of God and he just determined, I'm not going to quit. No, I'm not quitting. Not to now, not tomorrow, not ever. It's kind of like what Job, remember what Job said? Job says, though he slay me, <laughs> yet will I trust him. You can just see those guys with their teeth, just gritting their teeth, going, I will not quit. And let me tell you something, if you're, if you're an opposing force, it's hard to beat somebody with an outlook like that. <laughs> it's hard to beat somebody who refuses to be defeated. He said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's what I know. God won't stop you. The devil can't stop you. Only you can stop you. So why don't you just determine as you sit there looking at me this morning, you and I determine together, we're just not going to quit. We're not going to give in. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give out. We're just not going to quit. 
God's grace is available to sustain us. His peace is available as we perceive it. And the power comes when we refuse to quit. And what was incredible about that is Paul realized the fact that when he was weak, God was still strong. When I'm weak, he's strong. And in my weakness, God shines beautifully. You know what a great prayer to pray every day? It's when you're feeling overwhelmed. It's just to say this simple prayer, your strength, Lord. Your strength. Your strength, Lord. Just pray that prayer. When you're feeling discouraged, don't worry, Lord, <laughs> your strength. It is, Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ living in me. So in your weakest moments, realize his strength shines the brightest. People will, will learn more about your life by how you handle adversity than they'll ever learn about you by how you handle success. And both are great. And, and both are powerful. They're different sides of the tuning fork. But I'm telling you, somebody is watching how you respond in this season of life. It's okay to admit that you're weak, but realize his grace is sufficient. And when you partner with him and you find yourself in the embrace of his grace, his strength will shine beautifully through your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth that we tried to unpack a little bit this morning. As we just considered the first installment of this paradox this idea that in our weakness, there's great strength. And I pray for my friends this morning and those watching who may find themselves in a season of weakness. May they realize it might be in this season where their life is, their faith is shining so brightly. So I pray you'll give them your strength today. If they fall anywhere, let them fall at your feet. And remind us, Lord, that we may fall on that rock, but we can't fall off of it. So strengthen everyone in this room this morning. Help us to realize weakness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of strength. So help us, Lord, to rely on your strength. And for my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior, I pray this might be the moment when they humble their heart and say, Lord, with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. And for others that need someone to pray for them, encourage them before they go home, I pray as soon as I dismiss, they'll find their way here to the front. Let someone spend a moment to pray for them and encourage them. Give us a great week. Bless the kids that are out of school. I pray this is a wonderful time for families and a good week for business. And we just give you praise and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. May God bless you, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.